At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving to you. How many of you know the name Matt Swatzel? He's not Connor Stallion's replacement on the University of Michigan football staff, okay? He's not out. He has nothing to do with the game yesterday. Matter of fact, he is a fireman paramedic in the city of Atlanta. He routinely works 24-hour shifts, putting his life on the line for other people. And after one of those shifts, Matt started on his way home. And it wasn't too long after his way home that the, the effects of that shift kicked in. He started to doze off, and he crossed over the center line into oncoming traffic wasn't more than three or four seconds. Matt crashed head-on into another car coming the opposite way. He walked away from all of the injuries that he suffered. The driver in the other car, however, was killed. Her name was June Fitzgerald. She was 30 years old. And in the car with June was her 19-month-old daughter. Upon receiving the news, June's husband, Eric, rushed to the hospital and found his 19-month-old daughter injured, but she would make a full recovery. Her name was Faith. Soon, she will turn 19. At the hospital, however, Matt learned that June was seven months pregnant, and the baby didn't make it. For Eric, this loss is too hard to imagine. No more walks with his wife. No more anniversaries to celebrate together. His unborn child he would never hold. Faith, she lost a mother and a sibling. For both Eric and Faith, every day forward would never be the same. As for Matt, he could never undo what he had done. Eric didn't pursue charges against Matt, and Matt... And Eric wouldn't see one another for another two years as they would independently process this tragedy, isolated from one another. And then one day, on the two-year anniversary of the accident, Eric spotted Matt at the grocery store. And so he approached him and hugged him. Matt burst into tears and Eric told him, I forgive you. Forgiveness like that sounds absurd, doesn't it? You may be listening to this story. Maybe you have a story of your own life, and you might say, that's absurd, that's ridiculous. I could never do that. That's exactly the kind of forgiveness that the believer has in Christ. Right? If if you know Jesus Christ, if you're trusting alone in him for salvation, then you have a gift of a blood-bought forgiveness. Jesus willingly laid his life down for our eternal forgiveness. That's what we sung today. 
And yet there is something even more absurd than that story I told you. A Christian who won't forgive. Today we're going to hear a parable that Jesus told about a person who was forgiven a debt that's too large to be measured. And yet that same person couldn't forgive someone else who owed them a debt that was a drop in the bucket by comparison. And over the past four weeks, we've been in a series we've called Conflicted, where we've been listening to our Savior teach us on how we are to relate to one another, especially as we discover, I say yes, discover our differences, because we do have them. We've immersed ourselves in Jesus' response to the disciples' question about what greatness is like in the kingdom of heaven. And in his response, Jesus has jumped in and out of a couple parables. And today, as we conclude our series, we find ourselves back in another parable. And I'll warn you, this story hits like a hammer. It's heavy. But as a conclusion, Jesus' point couldn't be stronger. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, if you do not have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. It'll be up there as well. Matthew 18, starting in verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for this word. Even for the heaviness, Father, we declare that holy is your name and holy is all that you do, Lord. Your judgments are true and sure. And so God, I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of your word, of this very word. Help us to see the treasure that we need, God, to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. God, I ask for understanding for myself I ask for understanding for your people. Help us to peer into the beauty of this word and not just acknowledge it, but apply it to our lives here and now, this day. 
Help us savor, Father, what you desire to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, this parable hits like a hammer. That heavy feeling you're feeling is not from the turkey a few days ago. Not even from the third or fourth leftovers that you may have been eating. I know I love leftovers from Thanksgiving. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you know he doesn't mix words. He doesn't hide the truth. He doesn't play softly so our feelings might not be hurt. Jesus' words always cut right to the heart of the matter. Why? Because the heart is on display for Jesus. He can see into our heart motivations why we ask the questions we ask, why we focus on what we focus on. He speaks the truth. And everything that he's been teaching us here in Matthew 18 is brought to bear in this parable of the unforgiving servant. And it all started with a question five weeks ago. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? See, a question like that is saturated in self-importance. It's dripping, in fact, with it's all about me. See, a heart like that seeks to be independent, seeks to be off on its own, out in front, isolated from everyone for all to see. And in response, we've heard Jesus stress humility and dependence repeatedly. He charged the disciples to be like a child, to remain small and dependent. Dependent. He warned his disciples about the danger of harming others when we are tempted to put ourselves first. He encouraged his disciples to care for those that have wandered from the faith. Why? Because God desires for all of us to stay in the fold. He also expressed a careful and relational response when sin happens between fellow believers. And today, Jesus teaches that his disciples must forgive without limits because that is how God has forgiven us in Christ. See, Jesus started with humility and he stayed there ever since. Why? Because humility is the necessary ingredient, ingredient for the life of the follower of Jesus. Right? It's the truest sign of a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. But now we hear a second question. This is only the second time we've heard one of the disciples talk. All of this has been Jesus' words. But this question serves like an on-ramp to this parable. Remember, and it comes right on the heels of Jesus instructing them on how to handle sin between two believers. Look back at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? We often make jokes about Peter. Right, Peter sticks his foot in his mouth. He speaks too quickly. Peter is the butt of a lot of jokes in the church. But his question is pretty innocent. It's a pretty innocent one. In his day, the rabbis would normally teach that you could forgive someone three times. And then you could cut them off and that would be okay. So Peter's question here is pretty compassionate. Right? He's asking if he can go beyond the norm of the day and see, is, Jesus, is that what you mean? Is that what you're talking about? And so Jesus He answers him, verse 22, he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is not legalistic. He's not giving him an actual number, an actual boundary. His answer is much like when he said, cut off a hand, cut off your foot, or tear out your eye. Jesus is deliberate. It's hyperbole, perhaps. But it's illustrating that as believers, we should never stop forgiving others. 
And from that principle, Jesus launches directly into this parable. The parable that's in front of us. So let's look again. He says, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who wants to settle debts with his servants. So, not exact. So let's be careful how hard and fast we want to clamp down on details of this. This is not exact. Jesus, in parables, often uses dramatic language, exaggerating even, to make a point. We have two servants. The first one here has an enormous debt. An enormous debt. 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, if you have a footnote in your Bible, you probably already know this. But a talent was a unit of monetary value, often in silver, gold, some kind of precious commodity or mineral in the day that had a value, that they could trade goods, that had monetary value. But essentially, one talent equaled 20 years wages for a general laborer of the day. That's a lot. That's a lot then, that's a lot now. Okay, that's always going to be a lot. And we're not talking about corporate debt. coming. This is personal debt. And in our time, some theologians estimate this to be between three and six billion dollars. How'd you like that on your credit card statement? Not me. But Jesus' point is abundantly clear. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount of debt. Impossible to repay. Doesn't matter how good a saver you are, you could never repay this. But look at what the servant says in verse 26. He promises, I will pay you everything, he says. <laughs> See, the king knew he couldn't pay it. And so he ordered for him, his family, everything he had to be sold and payment to be given. The servant obviously falls on his knees. He begs for patience. He begs for time. But look at again how the king responds. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. See, what Jesus is getting at here is that we have been forgiven much. We have been forgiven so much. And God is the king in this parable. He compassionately forgiven us so much in Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus, trusting alone in him, then you have been forgiven just like this servant has. Our debt from sin is absolutely ridiculous to fathom. It's not even comprehensible. It's unimaginable for us to try to figure out how much our sin has separated us from the holiness of God. And that's exactly why I bring it up. Not to bring shame but to help us all understand the gravity of the holiness of God and how our sin has violated that. Our debt from sin cannot be paid. It doesn't matter if you have more time. It doesn't matter if you have a long list of good things and you could say, if I just had enough time to do all of that, I'd be good. You cannot pay it. I cannot pay the debt for my sin. But the beauty in this text is, if you are in Christ, then God has already said over your life, I release you. I forgive you of your debt of sin. So the question is, why do we find ourselves like this servant? Why do we continuously try harder to work to pay a debt we cannot pay? When grace has been freely given to us, 
Listen to how Paul makes it so clear in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's a place to say amen. See, God is the one who made the first move for your forgiveness, for my forgiveness. He extended mercy out of a richness that you and I can't imagine, a compassion that we can't understand. And by sending Jesus to die for sin, God is the one who removed the relational barrier between us and him. He took the initiative to settle something that was our fault. That's the beauty of this parable. Go back to the beginning. Look at how Jesus begins it in verse 23 by saying the king wished to settle accounts with his servants. We didn't come to our senses. We didn't wake up one day, man, you know, I'm living a pretty terrible life. (laughs) My sin is enormous and I need to make that right. We didn't come to our senses. God forgave out of his immeasurable grace. That's something that should bring a smile to your soul. And so I wonder, have you received forgiveness in Christ? Not intellectually acknowledged it and then gone about your way. Have you received it? Or are you caught up in a mindset of trying to pay back everything? My family, we love to play board games. Absolutely love it. And it actually gets so competitive that we might need forgiveness from one another. Uh, it can get pretty ugly. But the reason why I bring it up is because one of our favorite games is Monopoly. We love to play Monopoly, like kind of like carve out territories and all that kind of stuff. But the reason why I bring it up is because in that game, they have these little cards, chance and community chest, right? And I have one in front of me here. It says, get out of jail free. And I think we as Christians often treat God's forgiveness just like this. And what I mean by that is one thing you'll notice is that it's pretty small, It's too small to impact our lives, too small to impact our mind, too small to shake us from this idea that we can be good enough to get into God's graces. But it's also small enough we can put it in our pocket and forget about it. Just go about our day and just think about other things. Just forgotten about. But see, God's forgiveness isn't something stuck in our past, like a decision we've made and we just leave it there. God's forgiveness also isn't something that we put away in our pocket that it lays dormant for some future transaction. The forgiveness we've been given, forgiven in Christ is an active reality that should shape us right now, today, every day of our lives. See, the unforgiving servant didn't receive the forgiveness he'd been given because he was too important for himself. He remained too big in his own mind. Look at how Jesus brings this out in the parable. Look back at verse 28. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So he's just been forgiven a, a, a crazy debt. No layaway plan here. He doesn't have an endless pay schedule to pay this back. He's been forgiven, released. But there's no joy in him at all. And the preciousness of other people is completely lost on him. 
We get the sense that he deliberately finds someone who owes him so he can be violent. So he can just give just cause to what's in his own heart. And let's, so let's unpack that debt that was owed to him. A hundred denarii. One denarii was worth one day's wage for a general laborer. So, a hundred denarii, about one-third of one year. 20,000 years was the first one. One-third of one year. Not really a comparison, is it? There's never a day where that's a comparison on any standard. In today's terms, that would be like a few thousand dollars, $1,500, $2,000, to several billion dollars. See, a heart concerned with independence is only concerned with what's best for me, what I get out of it, what, what I can make for myself. Who cares about other people? Notice even the response of his fellow servant was the same as his. Look at verse 29. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. That's what he said. But his resentful, independent heart couldn't hear those words. Look at verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Jesus is such a master storyteller. Right on the heels of this response from the unforgiving servant, Jesus brings the king back into the story to showcase how beautiful God's forgiveness is, but also to showcase how it should change our lives. Look at verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him, so he comes right away, and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So right now, Jesus, in verse 35, he jumps out of the parable and he talks now to his disciples. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, the point is forgiveness is the way of the kingdom. Forgiveness is the way of the kingdom. And there is a word here in verse 33. It's very small, but it's oh so important. It's the word as. Just two little letters. In Jesus' parable, the king, he expected the first servant to forgive others of their debts in the same manner as the king had forgiven him. Same is true for us. We should be acting in a manner that's consistent with the way that God has dealt with us in Christ. If God has responded to our sin with a rich mercy and a rich compassion, then we have no freedom to act with a justice that we define. A justice on our own terms. On our best day, our so-called justice is twisted by a heart that's desperately sick. Still prone to wander, still bent towards sin. One might ask, well then... What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to ignore the sin? No. At no point do we see Jesus ignoring sin at all over these last several weeks. Instead, Jesus has repeatedly instructed his disciples to address it with humility. A focus on restoring relationships and being mindful of how we've been treated by God. How we've been forgiven in Christ. Those are the things that should guide us. 
Those are the things that should shape our relationships. See, the point is God's family, God's family forgives as they've been forgiven. That's how we are to act. This is so important for us to hear because we know in this church, in every church, there's going to be failure in relationships. There's going to be sin between believers, both in ourselves and in others. And this passage makes it very clear that forgiveness is the response. Forgiveness is the response. Theologian Michael Green says it best. The Christian life is born in forgiveness. And it must characterize us all the way through our relationships. See, we Christians, we should be a dependent people. We should depend on Christ consistently, constantly even, daily. You might be hearing all of this and saying, but you don't know. Amidst pain and hurt and trauma, you don't know what's been done to me. You're absolutely right, I don't. In fact, no one in this room may know exactly what you've been through. But Christ knows. He knows. And you and I know with absolute clarity what our sin cost Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe today, with a depth that has not happened yet, these words will penetrate. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to die for you and I to experience forgiveness. See, the consequences the unforgiving servant faced, they act as a sober warning against withholding forgiveness from others. He exchanged a petty debt for a lifetime sentence. He wasted his life because he couldn't forgive and he couldn't recognize the true depth of grace that was given freely to him. It seems like he forgot it as quickly as it was given. I told you this parable will hit like a hammer. And it does because Jesus demonstrates where a heart that is focused only on itself eventually leads. Resentment. A heart that's only consumed with itself will eventually land in resentment. And I want to end this morning by returning to the story that we started with. Eric Fitzgerald, the widower, was asked about how he feels about Matt Swatzel, who took the life of his wife, his unborn child, and why he didn't pursue charges. This is what he said. In moments where tragedy happens or even hurt, there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or to exact vengeance. Here was an opportunity where I could do that. And I chose grace. I waited till now to tell you that Eric is a disciple of Jesus. Forgiveness is hard. It's very hard. No one knows that better than Jesus because he went first. And because you and I have been forgiven much, forgiveness should be our way of life. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.